0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy and banter, Gabe Dowrick. Hello, Ben. Every year, Gabe, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question: Which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic movies about volcanoes. It's Dante's Peak versus Volcano. Let the lava floweth over. Okay, let's kick off this episode with an overview of these twin movies and a flashback to our first encounter with them. So, on the 7th of February 1997, Dante's Peak was released, and here's the IMDb synopsis. I can't even say this word, Gabe. A volcanologist?
1: Volcanologist?
0: That's actually a term, that's right. Arrives at a countryside town recently named after the second most desirable place to live in America, and discovers that the long, dormant volcano Dante's Peak may wake up at any moment. Now, later, on the 25th of April, 1997, and these are the US release dates, the film Volcano was released, and here's its IMDb synopsis. A volcano erupts in downtown Los Angeles, threatening to destroy the city. So, Gabe, did you originally catch these movies when they were released at the cinema, and what was that personal experience like for you?
1: To be honest, I must have seen at least one of them at the cinema, although, I mean, 20, 21, 22 years ago, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure which, and I've seen them both a couple of times since. Although, I feel like both of these were actually in the cinema at exactly the same time, and I don't know if that's my memory sort of just messing with me, but that I could go to the multiplex and be forced to actually, in this case, pick aside the hallways at school were maybe full of kids having to choose in this great volcano debate showdown. I think I was at the time Team Dante, but I've matured. I'm a different person now. So, essentially, it was basically like
0: Freaks and Geeks or Mean Girls. There were the Team Volcano. Yep. And Team Dante Peak.
1: Yeah, it's all we talked about in 1997, just which side of the canteen would you sit on based on your allegiance to either Pierce Brosnan or Tommy Lee Jones?
0: So, 97 is the year when we had classics like Con Air and Boogie Nights
1: come out. But at your school, it was all about volcanoes. That's right. It was just volcanoes 24-7. It's all we talked about that year. Well, I'm sad to say
0: that I actually avoided both these films in 1997. In fact, I actually didn't catch these films until a few days ago in preparation for this podcast, which I'm embarrassed to say in some respects because, you know, we own the Twin Movies space in the podcast sphere, but I don't know, at the time I wasn't very inspired by them, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I thought the idea of a volcano wasn't particularly dynamic, the photos were pretty lame, the trails were pretty boring, and the cast didn't really intrigue me, so... Despite these films being a pretty big deal at the time in 97 and despite them both getting a bit of attention being essentially remakes of the same concept, very similar ideas, even when they came onto TV later on or streaming services, I just was never interested. So it was actually interesting to watch these films 22 years after. We've had 22 years of, I guess, the explosion of more computer visual effects These films are very dependent on practical effects. And it was a very bizarre, I guess, sort of tumble down the rabbit hole to a different decade in terms of action movies, which we'll get
1: into. So, What do you mean the cast didn't intrigue you? Because, I mean, Volcano, do you mean back then in 97 you looked at the cast of Volcano and went, no, I don't think so? Because, like, watching it recently again for this, I was like, wow, this has a great cast. There's all of these- People who later when we get to the awards will be like, hey, it's that guy, again and again and again. Oh, yeah.
0: Volcano basically could be the potential twin movie's overall champ in this entire podcast series for the hey, it's that guy award because they're littered throughout. But that's the whole point, right, is that they weren't guys at the time. This was before they were as famous or before they were more entrenched in certain characters we knew them from on TV. This was before peak TV, so they weren't in our lives as often. And the main cast, which we'll come back to, just weren't particularly enticing, except for Tommy Lee Jones. But everyone else in those films didn't really stand out as being either well cast to the roles or, I guess, iconic movie stars. And maybe we should actually jump into a review of those films, shall we? And we'll talk about that. All right. So, why don't you kick things off? Let's start with a review of Dante's Peak. Did you like it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like both of these movies. And I like Dante's Peak plenty. It's funny because it seems kind of, I mean, old fashioned now. And I guess 20, does 22 years count as old? Does that count as an old film?
0: I think in media where things move at crazy light speed, it is like dog years and it does seem like more than 22 years ago. I mean, the film feels quite quaint. Yeah, totally. Like there's just something about the entire execution of the film, the colour grade, the practical effects. The pacing, the mishmash of comedy and sentiment with action, the way it's structured, like the very kind of classical, practical set pieces and very classical score to try and excite you or make you feel anxious.
1: I guess because it's like, we're so used to movies now where the stakes are astronomical. You know, disaster movies now are about entire cities being leveled as just a sort of opening sequence, as just an appetizer for the destruction to come. Whereas, you know, Dante's Peak is about a a countryside town being threatened. Yeah, 100%. And I kind of like that about this. You know, Volcano ups it a little bit. LA is threatened. But in Dante's Peak, yeah, you're right. It does feel a little bit quaint because I guess we just sort of – we just expect the scale of destruction now to be of an astronomical level. You know, unless someone's clicking their fingers and wiping out 50% of the people in the galaxy, I'm just not that interested so I kind of really like that about Dante's Peak. It feels kind of low-key in a nice sort of way. It's, it feels kind of – it's like a comforting movie. It's like a relaxing film.
0: It's so funny to say it feels low-key for what is essentially meant to be a action thriller with this terrifying concept of an entire volcano overflowing. But you're right. The stakes have changed. And I wonder if that's because of either the advancement of visual effects where we can now show destruction on a grander scale involving many more people – on a global scale, I guess from Independence Day onwards, which came out just before this film. But since this film, we can now show thousands of people you know, running for their lives and tsunamis pushing entire buildings over and washing hundreds of thousands of cars into the ocean. Whereas back then, you couldn't do that as convincingly. So you basically, from a script level, had to try and contain your story to some relatable characters and focus on them and then sort of surround them with, like, huge drama, but zoom the camera, like, both figuratively and literally in at them because it was too impossible to show the wider picture.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's kind of nice. I kind of like that. I kind of like that about both of these movies. You know, instead of a city being levelled, you have two people boiling in a hot springs. Yeah, that's right. Actually, that's so funny you mentioned that. Dante's Peak
0: has a weird tone. It starts at the very start, actually, where – We actually have Pierce Brosnan trying to escape a volcano in a coal opening, where basically we're dropped in the middle of this action scene, which is his life before he goes to this small town and meets Linda Hamilton. And a piece of debris, what do you call it, like a bit of spitting molten lava that's flying through the sky like a comet, sails through the roof of his car as they're escaping. And- it seems to kind of either directly or indirectly cave in the head of his wife or his girlfriend.
1: Yeah, it's sort of unclear. I feel personally like it landed on the top of her head and burrowed into her brain. Which is why That's yours sort of evil kind of like version. Bruce Greenwood in um Core when the drop of lava lands on his head. And you assume, Oh, look out and that's just gone straight through him like alien blood. So that's like what I alien think blood, yeah. to Pierce's Misses. Otherwise, it just, what, donked her on the side of the head? I'm not sure. But it's weird totally, right? Like, oh, yeah. for her to die in that way, it'd actually be less gross, perhaps,
0: to go through a heart or something like that. But there's just something gross about seeing his girlfriend with his bleeding head and then the injuries kind of in the shadows at the back of her head, but just seems a particularly violent way to kill her off at the start.
1: <laughs> well, how else would that? She can't fall into lava or something. That's probably even more
0: Oh, we could basically have a huge chunk of lava or rock crush the side of the cabin and then she's implicitly crushed underneath, like something which is less bloody, less gory, just because of the tone of this film, that's all. This was going for, I guess, a PG-13 at the time, so a very accessible classification for a family audience. It just seems like a particularly gruesome way to kill someone off at the very start and sort of set the tone for the film. Yeah, I liked it. I suppose it does explain why he's grieving and so on. The other weird tonal bit in terms of deaths is then that part where you have the couple who go for a skinny dip at the very start of the film, which is the next warning sign that Dante's Peak, the volcano, is about to explode. And they go into those hot springs which suddenly come to life and basically boil them off screen really quickly. That's like a horror film. Like the teenage couple get up
1: to some nookie and then they're punished for their sexual deviancy. It's kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, you've got to set the stakes for the damage because you can't have lava pop out straight away. So you've got to tease out some uh, dangers. I I suppose it's the same as Volcano with those, what do you call them, like, who are they? The workmen getting, like, kind of burnt alive by what they think is steam. And he comes out of the tunnel and his face is all... One side of his face is all melted. You've got to set the stakes, like, oh, this is some dangerous stuff here, the, uh, the hot springs. I
0: don't disagree with actually having those teasing moments to basically, uh, I guess, sort of tease out the escalation of the volcano. That makes perfect sense. It's just that the fact that they actually have what is basically a horror trope, which is the nude sexy couple getting punished for their sexy antics – is sort of odd, whereas the one in Volcano, to me, makes a lot more sense in relation to the logic and tone of the film, which is- a bit more serious. These guys underground, they're doing their underground job, and they basically get horribly burnt and killed as a result. But it just seems tonally more suited to the rest of the film, whereas it seems odd in what is essentially like a contained family drama thriller, where this uniquely composed family with Pierce Brosnan becoming the father figure- is trying to save everyone, including his surrogate mother-in-law and so on. And the sexy times thrill a bit at the start just seems like a bit of an odd juxtaposition to that.
1: That's all. But these movies, disaster movies, are in many ways essentially sort of horror movies and they follow those tropes if you establish a whole bunch of characters and- you're sort of trying to figure out who will make it to the end, and they get picked off one by one by the monster, which in this case is lava. And, you know, like, Volcano even goes to the extent of sort of giving the lava all these kind of wacky sound effects as it moves. like rapt- oh, yeah, I like, love that. I sounds mean, sounds and stuff like that. So, it's yeah. like, I guess, you know, that you think, oh, it sort of, like, has these horror movie tropes. I guess I'm not surprised that's sort of what these movies are in a in a way, like... Yeah, just the characters picked off one by one.
0: I agree 100%. And I go so far as to say that this film is based on the screenplay template of Jaws. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's a small town. There's a scare at the start. Not everyone quite believes the seriousness of that scare. In Jaws, is a shark attack, and this, it's sort of like a few people boiling alive. And then there's the town saying, We can't scare everyone. It's bad for tourism or bad for the development. Like, it's very similar. The whole idea of this mayor who's just basically thinking about the economics of the situation and how this tragedy will be terrible for the town. And they even set up at the very start in Dante's Peak that this is the second most desirable town in America. So the stakes are high that something like a volcano would not be good for this type of tourist town.
1: I love it that this is the second
0: most desirable town. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I also love the part when Pierce Brosnan asks which one is the first and the guy just kind of uses some pretty coarse language and says, who gives a shit or something? Like it's just so funny. Like he just does not care in any way. But if you're go gonna basically have that similar template of a Jaws and this and make it have that horror element, I agree it makes sense to try and give the volcano a bit of personality. And they do the same thing in Armageddon, where in Armageddon this comet or asteroid growls like a monster the entire time. There's even a scene I think in Jaws 4 The Revenge where they show Jaws emerge on the horizon and he has this dinosaur-like roar, which makes no sense when you sort of like replay it later on. But when you watch it in the movie, you just go with it at the time. But sharks don't roar at all and nor do volcanoes, but you just kind of go with it at the time.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it's not really anthropomorphizing it because they're not really human. I'm not sure what you'd call it, but I love it when they use sound design like that, sneak in a couple of little raptor growls or whatever it is to make the lava, which is otherwise what? It's just creeping towards you. It's not exactly... Uh, I mean, it's obviously very dangerous. You know, don't stick your finger in lava or whatever. But it's not like... It's not a, tu- uh, a fast-moving tsunami or, a, or the earth completely caving. It's kind of like a slow-moving... Uh, it's like a nana of uh, molten disaster attacks.
0: Actually, if you are to use the horror analogy, what's that film which has that force or that ghost walking very slowly. Is it It
1: Follows? Horror movies, don't they all kind of have like Jason Voorhees will walk after you but always somehow catch up to you? I guess that's what lava is like. You think you've got it and then boom, the sewer, what do you call it, manhole covers are all popping up and oh shit, the lava was under you all along. All along? Yep. Well, I guess basically every classic zombie film, not the Zack
0: Snyder ones, but zombie films, those guys are always walking. The threat. Yeah. So the threat is moving very slowly towards you and people trip and they hit dead ends and they find excuses for them to basically be caught up to by the zombies. Ooh, and yeah. In some respects it's the same, right? They have like bridges collapsing and various hurdles in the way so that's hard to actually outdrive or outrun.
1: The slow-moving lava. Totally. And we're not talking yet about Volcano, but just to talk a little about Volcano. If you just recolored the lava there to be pink, it could be the blob. Ah, totally. Yeah, you're right. Back to the horror influence you know, like, too. And just made one or two of the deaths just a little bit more like flesh melty. That movie would 100% be the blob. It's just like a big slow-moving blob of uh, pink goop moving through Los Angeles that has to be contained.
0: Well, you mentioned Alien and Aliens beforehand, and- I'm not sure if I ever actually consciously thought this, but on reflection, I think I subconsciously thought that when you see a drop of alien blood, I think it's in the first one, alien, and basically drips through the building and it's kind of like goes floor by floor. Is that alien? Yeah, that's aliens. And in many respects, I'm sure in some part of my back memory, back to those days we think about learning about volcanoes and lava at school, there is that element where you think about this slow, creeping, destroying liquid. And it's exactly the same thing. Like, it's a slowly searing away and you know what's going to come, which I think heightens attention. And I think what this film does really well is, or what these films do, is they tap into this weird obsession that everyone has, but particularly kids have, for things like volcanoes. Like, if you were to say about kids, what are things they love? It's, I'd say, what, it's volcanoes... (laughs) dinosaurs maybe classic cowboys and indians to use that expression like it's that kind of thing right like let's say it's guns or sides but you know how you see in so many american movies where they make the volcano using kind of like bicarbonate soda and whatever like there's just something in our psyche and in our media history where volcanoes always feature as part of a school experiment or in high school and primary school.
1: Is it because the destructive power is awesome and the visuals of it are fun? Yeah, I think it's that. It's unpredictable as well. Um, I think it's really hard to
0: understand the power of it too. There's just something bizarre to see this, what would appear to be this innocuous, slow-moving semi-liquid. Like its viscosity is pretty thick, so it's kind of like moving like a thick milkshake. And then the idea that if you touched it, you would essentially just disintegrate. Like, it's worse than fire. It's worse than coals. And I think it, it looks innocuous, but it is so powerful and dangerous. I think it's that weird dichotomy that we have trouble wrestling with in our brains.
1: Totally. feels like you want to stick your finger in just to test it out. Yeah, you get that, there must you just, be some oh.
0: name for that. You know how people talk about if you stand on the edge of a high building or something, some people or many people have this question like, do you jump? There's just something in humanity where they think... What is the consequence of jumping? It's not like it's a suicidal tendency. It's just that you're drawn to the unknown. And I agree. I think there's something about this or dry ice, the same thing, right? Like what would happen if you put your finger in it? Like people might, people think that all the time. But with lava, unlike dry ice or heights, you never get the chance to actually test that out. But there is that thing where you know it will happen, but people, I'm sure, are really curious to try it anyway
1: yeah totally i'd be throwing all kinds of things in that lava
0: <laughs> it'd just
1: be fun to watch them burn so
0: tell me more about dante's peak like you liked it what else did you like about it and what didn't work for you look
1: i'm a sucker for movies made in the 90s and like i said i like the smaller scale of it it's also got that weird thing like where was brosnan he was bond at this point right he was still
0: yeah that's a really good question he had done goldeneye 95 but he hadn't done the follow up so His star had already risen but was going to rise increasingly with each Bond film, but he didn't need to do this film in the sense that he'd already done a pretty successful, no, a very successful Bond film and was very liked by Hollywood. Right. So – I guess this is him doing one of his first big action non-bond roles.
1: I like him in it. Um, Roger Donaldson, an Australian. I think he's an Australian. He's a, yeah, he's an Australian. I really like the sort of the direction of it. He's a Kiwi. Oh, is it? Is he? Yeah, he's Zealander. Is he? I don't know. I yes. think he might have been born in Australia. We'll get to the trivia part where we discuss okay. that. We can we can argue Stand about by. Donaldson's uh, heritage. Sure. You know, I like the direction of it. I think it's like it's not too... OTT, not too showy. I like that it's not hugely full of visual effects. I like the cast. I like it when people like Grant Heslov pop up, C. Ma, a couple of these kind of 90s classic guys. Like I said, I just find it to be a relaxing movie, not quite twister levels of rewatchability, kind of maybe the pinnacle of 90s disaster movies. But, yeah, I just all-round... Just a nice Saturday afternoon at the pictures.
0: You know, there's this podcast called The Slash Film Podcast, which does weekly reviews, and one of the hosts, Dave Chen, uses a term when referring to particular films that aren't incredible but are enjoyable, pleasant to watch, which he refers to as a good sit.
1: Okay, good sit. This is a good sit. You don't regret it. You might have a nap during it. Both are fine.
0: All right, why don't I tell you my positive thoughts on it, and then we can circle back to our picking nits in relation to what didn't work. So I have much more mixed feelings about Dante's Peak than you. Maybe it's because I watched it being streamed opposed to watching it in the cinema at the time. I'm watching 22 years after the fact. I find, let's start with the positives. I really appreciate the practical effects. Like I really appreciate the practical effects. The lava you see, now I think it's a combination of visual effects and practical effects, but it looks fantastic. Looks fantastic. I think it's practical and it looks amazing, and they get everything right about it. And it doesn't look like it's green screen, it's integrated into the shots. And when I say I love the practical effects, I'm not saying that like one of those classic people that says, Oh, it was better in my day, or CGI is terrible. I'll be that guy. Not at all. You'll be that guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. but the problem with me is that we're in a stage now in 2019, and we have been for the last 10 years, where it's visual effects, as in computer generated visual effects to the absolute exclusion of practical effects, which drives me insane, which is why I think many people, including myself, like Krista Nolan films, which actually blend practical effects with visual effects. And J.J. Abrams does a great job with this as well. If you watch his very first big-budget Hollywood film, Mission Impossible 3, so this is in 2006, we're now 13 years ago in relation to visual effects. he's a great job where he builds the sets and so on. He adds the green screen at the back. He finds the right combination of practical and visual effects. And if you don't enjoy his films, I can understand why. But if you look at his Star Wars reboot, great example. He's taken the best of practical effects and the best of visual effects and blended them seamlessly. And I just find I watch these films, particularly disaster films, or I guess you'd say any superhero film these days is basically a version of the disaster film with buildings collapsing and huge explosions and blue lasers in the sky, I feel no sense of weight. This common complaint about you don't feel a sense of the weight of the concrete, true gravity. And they use a lot of aerial impossible shots, like the type of shots you'd only see in a computer game where the camera isn't actually tethered to a tripod or to a crane or to a drone. It sort of spins around. And these films are filmed on film, on dollies, on tracks, on cranes, on tripods. And so the shots you get, like how James Cameron shot Avatar, the sort of realistic sort of shots you can expect and your brain recognises as practical shots and then practical effects on screen. So I like that. I mean, I can't even think of many scenes at all in Dante's Peak where I could see obvious green screen. It was actually done really well. And like they even shot on a mountain. There's that rock climbing scene where that little mate breaks
1: his leg. Like, it's shot on a mountain. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it's great when they go on location, isn't it? It feels like a quaint quaint idea now. It's weird,
0: isn't it? Like, it's so weird to see them. And then they show Pierce Brosnan on that mountain rather than just showing his face with, like, what appears to be that weird kind of fake light they use to try and represent outdoor light and then, like, his hair just sort of wavering. I'm thinking of modern films, but also, when it's done badly, thinking of Cliffhanger, the Stallone film. Great movie. It just looks terrible. But in this film, it looks like they actually shot on a mountaintop and it works really well. So, I like all of that. Um, I also like the self-contained scenes. Like, you think, oh, what are the stakes you could have in a volcano film besides dodging falling debris and outrunning lava? Well, it is a great bit where they take the car through the river. And that actually, that scene where they're trying to drive the car through the river, and Pierce Brosnan assures Linda Hamilton that they'll be okay because the car has a snorkel. It's taking air, so the engine won't sort of flood. So that's the first hurdle. And then there's that part where you concern the wheels might actually lose grip with the bottom of the river and it gets washed down the river. But that's okay. They get past that. Then they kind of get bogged almost. And then another car starts sort of drifting towards them, like all these awesome little hurdles, which could be in any film, a non-volcano film, but work really well. And then the other great scene I love is the part when on that boat, that little tin boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and all of the gases are coming up through the lake and turning the lake to acid. And so the, basically the acid is slowly corroding the bottom of the tinny, the tin boat, and the engine as well. This is when they're trying to save at- the grandmother, right? And at the very end, the grandmother has been a pain in the ass the entire time finally shows a bit of um, gumption and a bit of enthusiasm and, <laughs> and jumps out of the boat to drag the boat towards the edge of the lake and thus her legs are being corroded by the acid as well.
1: Like, that's a great thing. That is by far the best scene in the movie, an absolute classic. Totally. Although, oh, no, it's, my, it's definitely my favourite scene because it has that mirror scene in Volcano, which is by far the best scene in Volcano, where uh, John Carroll Lynch has to uh, carry the guy through the lava. So, like, who did it better? Well, lava definitely seems much worse, (laughs) but acid was a surprise. Yeah, and although then she sort of survives overnight and has a bit of a- You have to have her lying there going, oh, my leg's hurt. Yeah, they probably should have killed her off actually on the edge of the Let her sink beneath the acidic- water and maybe that's right. Yeah. raise one hand in the shape of a thumbs up. Well, when she's actually racing to the edge of the water,
0: I thought she'd fall then, but she kind of makes it. And I actually think, look, I think we could have left Grandma behind at that point. But even the practical effect of when they race across the jetty and the jetty collapses like milliseconds after their last foot leaves it and lands on the shore, like it's perfectly timed with their stunt doubles, it's just great tension. and. That's a fantastic self-contained scene where the stakes just increase, 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 and you can't think what they're going to do. Like You just can't think, well, how are they going to get out of this, which to me are the hallmarks of a great action scene. You can't see what's going to happen, and the stakes build every single time as well. You can't believe it's going to get worse than what it is, and it does. So yeah, that's what I like about that. But
1: tell me, what didn't work for you in Dante's Peak? What don't I like? Well, like, as I said before, it is all a bit small and quaint, I guess. So, just as I'm happy for it to be a good sit. Is that what it's called? A good sit? A good sit. I do. It is a little dull. <laughs> like, yeah, it is a bit of a napper. I don't have a problem with the perform. Like you said, you were never drawn to the actors in it. I quite like all the performances. I don't know. It's just, I guess, and maybe it's because we've been conditioned to bigger, bolder, brassier, more explodey movies. It does feel a bit small in comparison.
0: What do you think? Yeah, the population of the town is probably in the movie story about 5,000. I think we see about 20. Like, it does feel very small scale. There's some weird parts too. Like, there's a part when they're trying to set up character and there's this screenwriting rule where when you're trying to establish character, do it at the same time as moving the plot forward. Don't just sort of like let the plot stop. Like, do it in the process so you reveal character – through the choices that the characters make as the plot moves forward. There's this weird part, which is like basically this whole coffee segue for Nespresso or Starbucks, where she brings in coffee for the whole team twice in a row. It's very odd. And basically, there are lots of comments about how great her coffee is. Coffee this, coffee that. Oh, great coffee. She's a keeper. Lots of talk about coffee, and it's meant to pay off later on when he makes a smart remark that he never really liked her coffee after all. But it's just very odd that there's this big focus on these details, which I guess are meant to try and flesh out their flirtation and so on before the tragedy begins, but to me just stops the film dead in terms of its momentum. So that's a bit odd to me. It doesn't work. I also find his boss's role playing the antagonist who, for most of the movie, doesn't believe Pierce Brosnan's character, Harry, but then eventually concedes. I don't know. That just feels dumb. Like It's one thing for the mayor to object to raising the alarm about the volcano when it's not quite clear whether it will erupt or not. So you can kind of understand, maybe not agree with, but understand the mayor's point of view. But when a scientist who's the boss of the scientists, Pierce Brosnan's boss, doesn't want him to alert them because he doesn't believe Pierce Brosnan and even says something like, I believe in science, not not opinion, even though Pierce Brosnan is actually a scientist and is actually making a scientific judgment, it just seems like a very forced effort to try and add obstacles in the way of Pierce Brosnan, which are totally unnecessary and are coming from the wrong character.
1: So, that doesn't work for me. So, you think that the human obstacles were sort of unnecessary or unnecessary for as long as they went when you've got a perfectly good, monstrous, natural antagonist right over there?
0: Yeah, I think that and as well, in years since Jaws, we've been conditioned to be less tolerant of those doofus authority figures. Like, at the time of Jaws, the character of the mayor who didn't want to close down the beaches for fear of, like, destroying the economy – was probably a stretch then, in terms of the believability of that. Now, I know that mayors and leaders and politicians and so on all over the world and CEOs have hidden dark secrets for fear
1: of- Isn't it super prescient, like the idea of a authority figure putting their head in the sand and ignoring the impending natural disaster that is occurring around them? Doesn't that speak to our times now more than ever? You're
0: 100% right. And maybe that's- I guess, my frustration in that maybe it is actually a very realistic character. It's just that that character really annoys me, in which case it's perhaps a very reasonable character to add, but I can't understand the perspective of that character because it just seems so insane. Like, as you say, we're in a climate now, excuse the pun, where people are in denial about the health or state of our our climate because they're ignorant and or... I guess, prioritising financial gain and need and have that that attitude of burn, baby, burn and see humans in conflict with the environment as if the environment's an adversary, which I suppose this film doesn't help, (laughs) rather than actually working with the environment and so thus not shitting in your own backyard. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess for me it's just like I can't understand that character But that's the point I suppose is that it makes more sense to me that the mayor of Jaws or the developer in Dante's Peak doesn't want to alarm everyone for financial reasons. Right. But it's a stretch that his boss, who is a scientist, doesn't either. So that's my problem. They've
1: given just those attributes to the wrong character. Yeah, totally. That's right. I mean, that's why it's better if you're gonna set up a
0: character like a property developer, like John Corbett, which we'll get to in Volcano. It makes sense that you give them a career, a background that just is going to be a natural hurdle to acts of selflessness. How about you? What else doesn't work? Anything else before we move on to Volcano?
1: No, I mean, as I said, a lot of this movie just sort of plays for me. I like seeing, like, Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton on screen together. Look, I don't like kids in movies generally. I find them to be a real bore because you know they're not going to get eaten by the lava. So unless your movie is actually The Blob in that 1980s remake where they killed the kids and stuff. It's always a little boring to have kids in danger on screen in these movies because you're just waiting for them to get saved. There's no real tension, oh shit, will this child fall in the lava? And I like that Volcano basically just moved Gabby Hoffman's character out of danger for the majority of the movie until the lava turns out is actually heading towards where she is. Instead of having her sort of just standing next to Tommy Lee Jones the whole time because there is no real sense of, of, like, doom or danger or for kids in these movies, in these mainstream Hollywood disaster movies. Look, all I'm saying is just once, have a kid fall in the lava.
0: I think we had the kids in danger in Deep Impact, which is our first twin movies where we had Armageddon versus Deep Impact, but they were teenage kids, and in the end, they actually survived and escaped by riding their bikes on top of a hill.
1: Yeah, and Lily so Lily okay. he She's not going to cop a meteorite to the face. She'll be fine. Elijah Wood will be fine. I mean, unless you're Macaulay Culkin in My Girl, the only thing to really worry about is bees. That's the natural disaster to be scared of in the 90s if you were a kid.
0: Well, maybe those conservatives are right. Maybe this is the problem we've got in terms of people who are climate sceptics. It's bees, it's volcanoes, it's the world against us.
1: That's right. We should fight back.
0: (laughs) All right. Speaking of fighting back, let's jump to our review of Volcano. So, what floated your boat about Volcano and did you prefer it over Dante's
1: Peak? I think I do. It seems kind of like, it feels like it has more visual effects and feels like it's trying to be a bit, the scope of its destruction to be bigger than Dante's Peak. Like it's taking itself more seriously as a disaster movie or something, but- I like this movie more because I think it's kind of – I like, the, for instance, the total lack of chemistry between Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche. <laughs> I like Tommy Lee Jones' awful attempts at the kind of reassuring smiles to his daughter that everything is going to be okay. I like John Corbett's kind of like slick douchebag property developer. You know, he's got no time to hang around with his surgeon, Mrs. While She's Trying to Save Lives – I like the really hacky, racist white cop and black Los Angeles mistaking him for some sort of, like, you know, gangbanger type who finds sort of a mutual understanding of each other. All of these really hacky, terrible elements come together to make a pretty entertaining movie. Yeah, that's totally right. Like, I think you nailed it.
0: You've just gone through my checklist of cringe moments, but also moments that make this film work. And I think are very characteristic of a mid to late 90s action movie. Like, the... Lack of chemistry but between Anne Hesh and Tommy Lee Jones is hilarious. When she first came on screen, I thought, no, surely she can't be the love interest in this film because that makes no sense in terms of their age, their personalities in real life, their characters they tend to play on screen because let's face it, Tommy Lee Jones does play a different version of Tommy Lee
1: Jones most of the time. He's just Tommy Lee Jones mode. I should point out that... Their lack of chemistry is obviously not because Anna Hash's sexuality or whatever. They just have no, no chemistry. But has Tommy Lee Jones ever had romantic chemistry on screen with anyone? And they they don't really go too – they don't lean super hard into it in this. It's just – there is just a complete <laughs> lack of spark or frisson or just anything between their 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 characters. Apart from maybe Hope Floats, that romantic comedy movie did with Meryl Streep. I don't think Tommy Lee Jones has ever really been the – Romantic type. Yeah.
0: I think Tommy Lee Jones basically was born Benjamin Buddenstein. Oh, yeah. Like an older man. He came out curmudgeonly. He came out at 40 and just aged from 40 onwards because, A, I have never seen an image of him pre-40, and if it was, he probably looked the same when he was 23. He has the personality that I love on screen, but perhaps I wouldn't appreciate living with or having as my neighbour, which is that- crank <laughs> yeah. who just tells it how it is and if he's on your side and telling it how it is you really appreciate it but if he's someone who disagreed with you he'd be a pain in the freaking ass to work with or collaborate with and even when he has had partners on screen like in no country for old men they just seem to be sort of background supporting rocks of gibraltar or they're basically tolerant of him And there's no sense of affection at all. And he's just there as this tiresome workhorse in whatever character, career that he's playing. So the idea of actually casting him to have a romantic interest is terrible. And he's the guy you cast to be the ex-husband or the distant dad because he's not known for being on screen, particularly conversive, not a great communicator. You wouldn't kind of subscribe... A high EQ to Tommy Lee Jones as he plays characters on screen.
1: His characters never really feel like they have a lot of, like, warmth do that. It's like, um, look, I love Tommy Lee Jones in movies, but, yeah, he's not, like, uh, he doesn't come across as playing, like, the caring, doting, uh, thoughtful, compassionate type of guy. He really typifies that American frontiersman type of uh, vibe. And I'll watch that fight, what- uh, fight anything, fight volcanoes, fight fugitives, fight Benicio Del Toro with stone knives, whatever you like. I'm there for it. Which is why he is great in westerns. Oh, yeah, t- exactly. He's playing. So the other thing about Tommy Lee Jones
0: is he suits certain types of dialogue and I feel that the screenwriters behind Volcano, whether they wrote this with him in mind or adapted it for him, he suits the tone of this film perfectly. Like it takes that kind of wise, cracking, cynical character – in these types of films to deal with the bureaucracy that creeps up initially, particularly when it's bureaucracy where they're disbelieving of a tragedy or they're too slow to act or they want to follow rules and regulations. But the tragedy requires breaking those rules and regulations. It requires free thinking and Tommy Lee Jones's bullheaded attitude to move ahead. Like, Let's let's knock down an entirely brand-new concrete skyscraper and use it like a dam in the next few hours. Like, those sort of wacky concepts that only someone with his on-screen persona, I think, could try and get across to the authorities, to the people who the, are the obstacles to his desires. So, that's why he's great as that character. But, yeah, lump him with a love interest and – uh It fizzles out.
1: It hardens like (laughs) cooling lava. Ooh, nice. What else works for you about Volcano? Look, as I said earlier, it has maybe the single best scene of all of the 1990s when John Carroll Lynch's character, he plays Stan, who works for the trains department, whatever that's called, uh, MTA or something like that, has to rescue the train conductor from the the, uh, stalled train or stalled subway, and lava has seeped under the onto the tracks and he has to he makes a decision to sacrifice himself to save this bloke. So he steps into the lava and then throws the bloke over the lava as he sinks into the lava. And there's this fantastic shot where he's he's sunk to his stomach. He's just flailing around going, ah, as he slowly sinks into the lava. And let me tell you, that is amazing. It is amazing. So for that scene alone, this movie gets a pass forever. And they've they've like slowed it down and scored it with like heroic music. And he's been a sort of wasn't a prick character but he was it's sort of a moment of becoming that hero ah oh, but it's so good it is so good and he's praying as he does it and his boots are melting Look, if you only watched the movie up to that point and then turned it off, you can't not think it's a at least an 8 out of 10 film.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this film does really well what other films have promised us. Like, think about Terminator 2
1: and Aliens 3 or Alien 3. Wait, wait, wait. Did you like, say all- this movie does something better that was promised us than Terminator 2 does? Well, it wasn't- fact, this is going to be a spicy take. No, no, it wasn't a better, but I should say is that it actually promised us what we- or
0: gave us, delivered to us what was promised or teased in non-lava, non-volcano films. So, think of that great scene, Terminator 2, where we see the T-800 just slowly descend into the lava and his hand kind of like slowly sinking. And it's kind of implied that he basically just sort of like melts and disintegrates and kind of merges with the lava or the, what is it? It's like a hot molten Molten metal, or metal. metal. Or yeah. yeah. And we saw something similar in Alien 3, when Sigourney Weaver kind of commits, I guess, sort of like an act of suicide to try and kill the alien inside her, spoilers for Alien 3, and just flies backwards and then similarly would just instantly disintegrate into also molten metal as well. And so we actually never see anything like that. And the only thing I would add to both these films is that I want to see another one of those films with that iconic moment with the hand, like in Terminator 2, like – I feel like we missed out on that. I feel like when people think about lava, they think of basically a destructive boiling version of quicksand where you sink in it, and I guess that's the terror of it, right? Like, how quickly do you lose consciousness? Like, how painful is it? Is it instantaneous, like a plane accident, or do you have thirty seconds of agony before you die? Sure, it's it's horrifying. Your
1: wounds and My guess would be it'd be fairly painless. I think falling into a pit of lava would be quite a pleasant way to go. Well,
0: the funny thing is when you bang your leg or you burn yourself, there's that delay, right? Of like, it feels like about three seconds. It's probably half a second where you don't actually feel the pain initially. So I'm assuming that there'd be a similar situation where there'd be a slight delay. But the question is, does your brain melt fast enough or your spinal cord Before you feel searing pain.
1: Well, I think if something is, you know, 900 degrees centigrade or whatever that is in Fahrenheit, 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, it's going to be melting you pretty quickly as opposed to a bit of boiling water, which is what 105 degrees centigrade. Yeah, if it was me, I wouldn't be standing in it. I'd basically dive in. I'd get it over and done. Yeah, that's right. You dunk your
0: head. Yeah, that's right. You dunk your head. Just go the whole way in. It's like when you go for a swim in winter in the ocean, right? You don't sort of like splash around the waves up to your shins. You dive under, break the seal, get it over and done with, move on. In this case, you die straight away, but avoid the pain, just essentially disintegrate as quickly as possible.
1: So while I think that this scene in particular, and I'm glad we've been able to talk about it because it's truly magical, is great, I would have actually liked across both these movies more scenes of people falling into the lava and sort of, toppling over, going in head first, maybe just an arm goes in the lava and how do you deal with just your melted arm off? I feel like there wasn't That's what enough- I'm saying. That w- so you yeah. also wanted more trips into the lava. I just feel that
0: it would have given the film more of a horror vibe, but I think the way people think about what would they do if there was a volcano, what would they do if the end of their shoe was burnt or their foot was burnt, is tapping more into most audiences' fears about volcanoes and lava than what we see. Now, yes, it does make it more of a horror film, but that's why I think people find those moments so disturbingly visceral in Terminator 2 or Alien 3 because it does tap into that what would I do or how would it feel sentiment that audiences have. And so we could have had some strangers. They didn't have to be the main characters, but we could have had someone lose an arm or so and not even necessarily see the detail, but just see what is the practical outcome like does it cauterize the wound and thus you live longer in a bad sense or does it mean that it turns your limbs to mush and thus you bleed out quickly like i'd like a scientist to explain what would happen because i actually don't know maybe both
1: yeah it's interesting neither of these movies i mean they probably have a big off-screen death toll maybe 100 people die off-screen in volcano or maybe a thousand i'm not Sure. But um, it did feel like you could have probably knocked off more of the characters. I think, what, like three characters in Volcano die? That first scientist, Anne Hesh's science buddy, who falls into the crevasse, Michael Raspoli, great thing, Michael Raspoli up there, uh, who sort of dies with the cop, and John Carroll Lynch, who- wade through the lava. You could have killed off, you know, five or six more on screen. Yeah, it's odd. Dayton Cowley's character, you set him up, kill him off.
0: Yeah, there are missed opportunities. Um, I think it's also confusing because I really enjoyed Volcano and I actually enjoyed Volcano more than Dante's Peak, believe it or not, and I expected it to be the reverse. But I think Dante's Peak leans heavily into the concept of a volcano film. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas sure. you know what I mean? Like You get what's on the label. You do. Like you get what's on the poster and it's actually a volcano. Whereas Volcano, the movie, it's not actually a volcano in a traditional sense. It's more like a leakage from inside the earth. And, which one do you think is more seepage than- Well, I think volcano because it's, it, they describe it being these tectonic plates creating these fissure, which right. is basically then the lava leaking up to the surface of the earth, which I guess, yes, theoretically is a form of a volcano, right. But if you're calling your film a volcano, opposed to leakage or fissure or whatever it might be, it isn't really executing on what most people's concept
1: is of a volcano. Right you wanted a mountain in the middle of Los Angeles, a mountain to smash through the Beverly Center and then spew lava. Well, I guess that isn't the
0: entire phobia that people have based on Pompeii, like the idea that you're living peacefully, something erupts unexpectedly, various people are punished for their indiscretions, and nature strikes back, which is the whole parable of Pompeii. Everyone's living decadently and so on, and they're, they're essentially punished by the environment. And you want to have that visual, right, which is the same visual that kids create with those little models at school, which is a hill or a mountain, volcano is spewing out of it and rolling down the sides of a mountain and people are outrunning it and eventually the land levels off and then it kind of like an overflowing coffee just kind of like leeches throughout city streets. I think that volcano does a great job and a better job – with its lava and the combined usage of like, kind of like asteroid-type spurts of lava firing around. I like that actually more in Volcano than Dante's Peak. But Dante's Peak did better, I think, with just leaning into the premise as to it's a volcano, as you know and recognise, it explodes, run for your lives. I would say that's fair, sure. Yeah. All right, should we move on to a combined review? So, notable similarities, coincidence, or ripoff? Well, both these films came out at similar times, so there wasn't really an opportunity to one copy of the other. But there were, were there any trends between the films that overlapped, do you think?
1: Well, there's the person sacrificing themselves by wading through the uh, dangerous uh- – lava or acid water. There's families in peril. There's people who don't want to believe that this is going on because they have economic interests. But I guess these things that these have in common are basically just common for the genre, wouldn't you say? Yeah, these could be films about
0: a nuclear reactor exploding where you have tension between the opportunists, the business people, the corrupt politicians, the families trying to survive, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like these are tropes that are particular to volcano movies. I mean, you could, like we said earlier, you could swap out the lava for a mutated blob or for anything that basically kills in one hit, some sort of magic, I'm not sure, and the movie could play just exactly as it is. So the similarities I feel kind of aren't necessarily specific to these two movies as much as to a genre wider as a whole. What about you? Did you spot have you spotted any other Key similarities?
0: No, I didn't. But I, I suppose the more interesting part are the key differences. Oh, yeah. Like, let's jump to you know, were there any plot holes or missed opportunities where the filmmakers could have done better with this high concept of a volcano exploding in modern times?
1: Well, what do you think? I mean, do you want more destruction? Do you want more people in peril? Do you want it to not just threaten the town of Dante's Peak, but maybe the whole state in which it is located? What do you think? Well, here's
0: my contradiction, is that I actually prefer a volcano in a city than a volcano in a small town, but the reality is is that you don't have cities built on mountains. So Dante's Peak, I think, does better at first glance with the concept of leaning into what a volcano film looks like. But I do like the idea of volcano being set in the middle of LA and they do a great job at the start where they're basically showing – they're intercutting between lava underground and sort of like the earth erupting with like good times upstairs on top of the earth where people are concerned about coffee prices or parking and like it's trying to juxtapose first world problems with the environment striking back so to speak and that's more interesting I think because we're so – Used to the stability of our cities and stuff, a volcano in a city is, I think, a much, much worse situation than a volcano in a small town. Like the stakes are just higher, right? And you can't outrun it in the same way. So that's where I think, even though volcano misses out on having the mountain bit, that's not a bad idea. I think an interesting version could have been where they basically had like a volcano erupt at like. Somewhere different, like perhaps a really congested ski slope or something like that. Maybe Sundance Film Festival. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. The idea where basically you juxtapose ice and lava. Oh. And uh, people are like skiing and trying to outrun the volcano and so on. Like, that'd be interesting. Fuck. Keep that idea in your mind. Plant that for us. To- oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Fuck. All right. Fire and it's like water. like a James Bond film. Yeah. Heat All right. ice. Oh, I like it. Let's jump then to a bit of a trivia before we get to the awards. So... Let's start with Little Did You Know, uh, starting with Dante's Peak. So most of the film's exteriors were shot in Wallace, Idaho, and then Dante's Peak, the actual volcano itself, and the surrounding scenery were digitally added afterwards, which I thought looked great. I thought it was pretty
1: seamless. How about you? Yeah, I think for mine, the VFX in Dante's Peak are better than the visual effects in Volcano. Some of the visual effects in Volcano are a bit ropey. I mean, look, a lot of visual effects in the late like, '90s no, It's always a bit ropey. But a few of those shots where you've got, like, the big building in the background behind, like, a low-angle shot of Tommy Lee Jones, it does look very, obviously, comped in. But it's great seeing these movies with a mixture of practical and visual effects. So, it's um, forgiven. Well, it's funny you mention that because many of the special effects in the movie were practical
0: special effects and they used a lot of real-world models or full-size properties and vehicles in Dante's Peak. And as for Volcano, apparently there was, they did an 80% full-size replica of Wilshire Boulevard. And that was one of the largest sets ever constructed in the US. And it was actually assembled further away in Torrance, California, just for this movie.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So I wondered how they – because obviously you probably can't close down Wilshire or any of those big LA streets for days on end and fill them up with all kinds of fake lava and fake – lava dust or whatever you call it. Ash, I believe it is known. So, yeah, that's really interesting that they built entire huge streetscapes. That's cool. You probably wouldn't get that sort of scale of um, production design these days, would you? Yeah, it's funny. We'll get to the
0: budget soon, but that explains the huge budget of both films. But the funny thing is, is that modern blockbusters, particularly superhero films like Marvel films, actually have bigger budgets anyway, and they're just putting their money in a different way to visual effects. We often think about uh, people use visual effects to save money, but I think it's actually often about ease or mitigating risk, but it actually costs as much as, as as doing practical. It's just that I guess it feels that it can be controlled more and they can change their mind on the fly because it's all created in a computer and shot on green screen stages, opposed to having to commit to those actual replicas. So let's jump to casting woulda, shoulda, couldas. I couldn't find any surprises here other than in Dante's Peak that Michael Douglas was originally set to play the lead. That's a different film.
1: Is it? How much different? Like, what do you think? What would he have done well, very happened different? Is- would he have just been like a huge sex pest? <laughs>
0: like- there would have been a lot more fucking sleazier. eyes than to Hamilton. Yep, That's okay. right. And when they go up to the hot springs at the start of the film, he would have seen these hot springs, looked at Linda Hamilton and thought, baby, sugar, honey, let's follow the lead of the young couple who are up here having sexy times antics so, and uh, and do some of the middle-aged stuff
1: ourselves. Yeah. So, I'm just a volcanist with a coke addiction and a sex addiction. My name's Michael Douglas, volcanologist. The, vulcan- <laughs> the volcano I'm referring to is not, in fact, up that hill. It's in my pants. <laughs> All right, now let's go to
0: spot the Aussie. I couldn't spot any Aussie actors in either of these films, but you think that Roger Donaldson, the director from Dante's Peak, was Australian or is Australian, is that right?
1: Yeah, in fact, I believe he was born in Ballarat.
0: Ah, you're right. You're right. He's Australian. Okay, that's our Aussie. So actually,
1: misleadingly, he's referred to as a Kiwi. Is that just because you think he's a Kiwi because he made that movie World's Fastest Indian about... The Kiwi who drives his motorbike real quick. Yeah, there's that. And I think there's also that confusion that he and another director from New Zealand made
0: Bond films at the same time. And so, you kind of like throw them in the same basket.
1: Lee Tamahori? Yeah. But Roger Donaldson never made a Bond movie. Didn't he? No, you're thinking of Michael Apted. He's actually British. Michael Apted, yeah. Totally, and yeah. Lee Tamahori, All the right. New Zealander. But Roger Donaldson didn't make a Bond movie. He made he made some good movies. He made Species. Okay, correction. So, Roger Donaldson's got a great career. We've got Holy Toledo. We've got
0: Cocktail, Cadillac Man, Species, Dante's Peak, 13 Days, The Recruit, The World's Fastest Indian, The Bank Job.
1: The Bank uh, Job is probably actually- Statham's best film.
0: Yeah, I agree. And he actually got together again with Pierce Brosnan in... The November Man in 2014, a documentary called McLaren in 2017, and he's currently in pre-production in a film called The Guinea Pig Club, starring Sam Neill and Richard E. Grant. So he seems to have kind of like moved to dramas later in his career and away from action movies. I sense there's going to be a twin movies involving species coming up. Oh, really? Fuck yeah. Get ready for that. Yeah. Okay, let's jump to the uh, box office. I would talk about little, big trouble in little production and marketing methodology, madness, missteps. But in this case, there wasn't much to speak of. So let's talk
1: about who was the box office champ. So do you want to have a guess? I'm going to guess. Look, I was going to guess Volcano, but I'm going to actually go with Dante's Peak. And right you are, sir. Dante's
0: Peak had a production budget of 116 million US dollars. It only did 67 million US domestically, plus. 111 in foreign for a worldwide total of 178 US million dollars off a budget of 116. And in comparison, Volcano, that had a budget of 90 million dollars, so comparable, only did 49 million domestically plus 73 and a half internationally for a total of 122 off $90 million. So, neither so, of these
1: movies were really were successes. You wouldn't say that Dante's Peak, although it made more than its budget, that that made enough to be considered a success, right?
0: No, they both did terribly. In fact, Dante's Peak actually debuted at number two at the box office behind the special edition re-release of Star Wars. Ugh, you don't want to go up against Star Wars, do you? Totally. And Volcano, when it came out, only opened first in first place, but coming in second was... Romy Michelle's High School Reunion and Anaconda.
1: Oh, okay. Both of which are better movies than both of these two movies.
0: But both those films didn't actually make much money either. So, these films opened at pretty soft times of the year and based on their budgets, didn't do very well. In fact, Dante's Peak for $116 million production budget in ninety seven, and I don't want to be mean to Linda Hamilton, but for those names at the time, that's a lot of money for non- You wouldn't call them big actors at the time, would you?
1: Nineteen ninety-seven. So, I mean, Linda Hamilton was in Terminator Two a few years before. Five years before. Yeah, yeah. But five years is dog
0: years in Hollywood terms. Yeah, that's true. And she's also over forty, which means she's prejudiced against by Hollywood moguls because they usually think that if you're a female over forty, sure, you're not your box office poison, which is unfair, but unfortunately a reality now and also in the 90s too.
1: I presume they just banked that the star wasn't so much the actors but the volcano, the premise, was the star. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you're dropping what's the equivalent of, like, almost $180 million in today's monies on this, look out. Well, let's compare, say, Armageddon and Deep Impact, right?
0: Armageddon, similar budget, but it's got Bruce Willis in it. Now, admittedly, the other actors aren't huge, like Billy Bob Thornton and Ben Affleck and so on, which we have an award named after. They were kind of coming out of indie world at the time, indie wood. but Bruce Willis was a bigger deal then than Pierce Brosnan was for Dante's Peak.
1: You're right, though, as well, because I guess, what, two years later, Armageddon. Armageddon has a much more massive scale than Dante's Peak in terms of the way it's – the actors they've got, the way it's shot, the scale of destruction, the visual effects, the practical effects, and what, only for an extra $30 million? Yeah, totally. Exactly right. Do you think the opening of Dante's Peak ate the lunch of – Volcano? Yeah, probably. I mean it's interesting. I didn't I would have guessed that the budget to these movies would have been like fifty million dollars. I'm really surprised that they were as high as you've just said. Like they don't really look like they got a huge amount of value for money, to be honest. I mean it's great that Volcano built those huge sets, but wow, at that price tag, shwee. Yeah.
0: I'm really surprised as well. They're basically thirty percent to double the price of what I expected. Particularly yeah. Dante's peak, a hundred and sixteen million in nineteen ninety seven. That money wouldn't have been spent on Linda Hamilton's salary, and Pierce Brosnan wasn't that big of a deal then, which means most of that's been spent on production. That's incredible. That's like a very expensive film. All right, let's jump to the critics and fans reaction. Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Do you want to have a guess as to which one did better with the fans and critics? I'm going
1: to go to the Dante double. Ooh, okay.
0: Dante's Peak has 24% with critics and 38% from audiences. 24 and 38, ouch. Volcano, ding, 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 50% with critics and 31% with fans. So, Volcano actually did better.
1: Yeah, right, okay, yeah. I'm surprised Dante's peak is so low. I don't really feel like this movie has that low of a reputation these days, does it?
0: I think the film is actually more forgotten. I don't think it actually has a bad reputation. I just feel that people don't speak about it. Like, people do speak very fondly of many films that we love, like... Conair, Armageddon, Broken Arrow, films of that time, Face Off, which were ludicrous in many respects. But this film just would not come up in the conversation as to classic films in the mid to late 90s. I think it's just forgotten about, basically.
1: I wonder if they were basically eclipsed by those ones that came later, like we just talked about Armageddon and Deep Impact, where maybe these were just on the cusp of being a little bit old school and then with the explosion of digital effects and the sort of scale they could do things, that they just got left behind a little bit. Two years later, you got giant meteorites wiping out the world with huge tsunamis, that these feel, like we said earlier, just a bit quaint, and because they're a bit quaint, they're just a little bit forgot. I'd
0: even double down and say that, actually, they unfortunately were green lit before, or they were lit without having seen Independence Day, which came out in 96. And that film raised the bar because it maintained – it lent into this idea of the the tragedy on a global scale. Or oh, not even a global scale. I guess it wasn't that film. But it actually did a great job of mixing visual effects and practical effects. So, for example, the classic iconic shot of the fireball going down the street flipping cars or the White House exploding was done with a combination of visual effects and practically. But it kind of raised the bar in terms of – global drama and armageddon deep impact were the same whereas these films we talked about were kind of quaint because they're very geographically specific with a small cast and you're just following a few people around for an event that's only affecting a city or a town so i actually think that the audience got cultured at the time to want bigger and more
1: yeah i think you're right because after that sort of Independence Day money shot of the White House exploding. Everyone sort of expected, like, if I go to a disaster movie now, I want to see a famous landmark, at least one, get wiped out. And neither of these movies really deliver on that. You don't have in the volcano trailer a kind of, like, like the tar pits explode. Well, who cares? The La Brea tar pits aren't exactly the White House.
0: Yeah, it's basically, like, low scale compared to, say, Independence Day and Armageddon Deep Impact, but a big price tag to make them.
1: Yeah, they should have made the volcano that explodes in Volcano explode just behind the Hollywood sign. So, at least you'd have a shot of the Hollywood sign melting as lava came down that their hill. Save that for the sequel pitch. (laughs) Exactly. All right,
0: let's bang through our awards. And as always, we intend for the awards not to be as long as the three-hour awards for the Oscars. So, let's start with best title,
1: Dante's Peak versus Volcano. Who's your winner, Gabe? I know what you're gonna go with, but I'm gonna go with Dante's Peak. It's much more evocative. You mean referencing Dante's Inferno? What? Is it Refer? Oh man, now it's doubly evocative. <laughs> really? You didn't actually pick that up? Uh, yeah, geez. It's <laughs> sitting there in front of you. That's why I like it. It's cool. It's like a it's got a cool name for an exploding volcano.
0: See, I'm not sure if it's both a compliment or a criticism that you know that I'm gonna choose volcano because it is what it says on the tin.
1: Yeah, but like, how far do you take this idea, Ben? Like, would you have just preferred this to be called hero film disaster exclamation point? Yeah, yeah. Aren't there like films that are like parodies of these films called disaster, yeah, disaster movie? movie? And you're like, hey, there's a title I respect. <laughs> Genius. I get behind this. All line. right,
0: look, I'm not really committed to volcano, and I do, I do like that Dante's Peak references Dante's Inferno. It's more sophisticated. So, look, I'm happy to give it to Dante's Peak. Okay, you've got that one. All right. Okay. Best poster. Again, our audiences can't see the posters, but Dante's Peak has basically two floating heads, that cliched, uninventive design of the two stars at the top of the poster, and then like a lot of smoke, but no lava at all. And Volcano has like a scene of like a spurt of lava coming up from what appears to be a street. But they're both pretty uninspiring posters. So which one do you give it to? It's interesting
1: that Dante's Peak poster has really led with the actors. But surely that's not the reason anyone's going to see this movie. I mean, like you said, the star is the volcano. So why would you go with two giant Photoshopped heads? It's like, oh, is one of these characters Dante and the other peak? I don't get what the – like, what's going on here?
0: Worse than that is that the actual scene you do see of the landscape appears to be just a giant cloud. Like, this is your opportunity to have a classic volcano spurting lava And you've got two floating heads and then what appears to be a cloudy Sunday afternoon, just cloud, the tiny hint of red, but no sense of lava or a volcano at all, which to me is a massive marketing misstep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whereas at least the volcano one has a giant exploding geyser of lava and a a giant words like, it's hotter than hell. So, you know, at least, oh, yeah, yeah, there we go.
0: I say uh, volcano gets it, but, you know, these are- Two terrible posters. All right, moving on. The Bill Fleck Big Break Award, named after American indie actors Billy Bob Thornton and Ben Affleck, who jumped from indie films into the Hollywood big time when they starred in the Michael Bay film Armageddon, which we've just spoken of. So, who got their big break in these twin movies? Starting with Dante's Peak. I couldn't find anyone at all.
1: No. I guess in Volcano, Anne Hash, was this her first giant – Big budget lead role? Yeah, well,
0: she went through that window of this film and the same period, there was also the Psycho movie. There was that Seven Days, Six Nights with Harrison Ford. But I guess before this film, she had around around the same time, she had I Know What You Did Last Summer, 97, Wag the Dog, 97. This is Volcano, 97. Donnie Brasco, 97. Like, she had a great 97. And she had Walking and Talking in 96, which is an indie film, But she was not the Jura in 96. Yeah,
1: but she's she's only a small role in that. She's not the lead in the Jura. I believe Demi Moore is. Yeah. I would actually say Anne Hesh or Don
0: Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Don's Don's surname. Yeah. He had Boogie Nights in the same year, and I actually never seen him until Boogie Nights. So I'd say it's one
1: of those two. Either way, I think Volcano gets it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was Anne Hesh's big leap into giant budget Disaster movies. All right, so Anne Hersch in Volcano. Just on Don Cheadle, though, you said you hadn't seen him in anything before this. 1995, Devil in a Blue Dress. Great movie. Check it out.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Never seen it? Must see it. Okay, we will do. All right. Moving on. The Before They Are Famous Award or the Blink and You'll Miss Them. So Dante's Peak, I had Grant Heslov, who plays Greg, I love and went on to become the writer of Good Night and Good Luck, The Ides of March, The Monuments Men and Suburbicon. So basically forming a great relationship with George Clooney and Matt Damon. And then we've got Volcano, which I think we're both going to agree, cleans up this award, right?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it doesn't have quite the cast that, say, like Twister has where the tornado chasers are like, holy shit, wow, this is a crazy cast of uh – of sort of just before they were in everything faces, but man, yeah, like volcanoes, all of these are uh, all these punters. You're like, wow, it's that guy, it's that guy who would later, I guess, be in TV shows or become a bit more ubiquitous. It's probably one of the fun things about watching volcano, seeing Richard Schiff pop up in a scene, or Dayton Callie pop up in a scene or two. John Carroll Lynch, Keith David, like you said, Don Cheadle, John Corbett.
0: So Richard Schiff was Toby in West Wing. Yeah. Also, how about that hilarious one with Susie Essman, who plays Susie in Kirby Enthusiasm, playing the smart-ass babysitter in Volcano? Yeah, totally. Then we've got as well, so is it David? What's his name again? Keith David. Keith David. Keith David. You yeah, get a so, white right, mate.
1: No, uh, no David Keith around here.
0: But I guess he was already famous already, so it's probably going to be Volcano for, I'd say, Susie Essman and Schiff. Who played Sure. Kobe. What do you think? Sure, I'll give it to him. All right. All right. Now, here we're up to the next fantastic award, which is so perfect for this twin movies combo. It is, as always, the Tommy Lee Jones Show Stealer Award, named after the iconic performance by Tommy Lee Jones in a supporting role in The Fugitive when he stole the show despite being in a small or poorly written role. So, just for the sake of argument, Dante's Peak – Did anyone
1: steal the show? Maybe Grant Heslov, but not really. Maybe. I'll just point out, just question about the title of this award, though. We're not saying that his role in The Fugitive was small or poorly written, though. Were we? Are we? We're not. Uh, No. I'd say if you look
0: at the script, it has some good dialogue, but I think he elevated the role beyond
1: what was written on the page. Right, okay, fair enough. So, is anyone elevating these roles beyond what was written on the page in either of these movies? Not really. (laughs) I'd say Tommy Lee Jones. Sure. I mean, I think he's so charismatic that he brings a crank. (laughs) He's a kind
0: of grimacing. To me, yeah, I love it. I just love it. I just just love his lack of tolerance for humanity sometimes. I just think he's hilarious. So, I'm going to give the award to the man named
1: after the award. Titular award. All right, it's all his.
0: Perfect. All right. Now, this award is named after- Someone who you recognise and you named this award for the third time. It's the Dustin Diamond Award, named in honour of the actor who didn't kick on with a bigger career after finding fame in the 1980s TV series Saved by the Bell. So, who didn't make the most of their opportunities after appearing in this film? Starting with Dante's Peak.
1: Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton? I mean, I know Pierce Brosnan failed to be Bond in a bunch more movies yeah, and that's stuff. not for me. I'd say Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton's
0: had a very troubled career with mental health and uh, she was also married to James Cameron and it seems to be that mental whenever health. an actor marries James Cameron, they basically don't act as much as they used to like his current wife for whatever reason. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess to me this was her comeback having sort of been in the wilderness in that she could have kicked on a much much more to a bigger career after Terminator 2 and didn't. And I would have thought this was her last gasp of big fame and then didn't really follow through. So, I would say she unfortunately wins the Dust and Diamond Award.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: All right. You could say Anne Hesh as well, but she had a few films in her after this.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's Linda's, unfortunately.
0: All right. Next, the winner-winner Chicken Dinner Award. Who came out on top in each of these movies,
1: starting with Dante's Peak? Who came out on top? Well, I mean, Roger Donaldson got to keep directing movies. <laughs> That's a win. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Who do you think Dante's Peak came out on top? Look, these films both did terribly. So, in I fact, mean, Roger Zer- Donaldson definitely went on to a better directing career than the bloke who directed Volcano, at least in the in the direct aftermath of, of the film. Roger Donaldson continued to direct feature films, which in the 90s was what you were wanting to do as a director, whereas Mick Jackson sort of disappeared for a while, made a few TV movies, and then just started directing television. Although he did Mick direct, Mick Jackson's the- career is bizarre.
0: Yeah, like he did L.A. Story, then The Bodyguard, huge hit. Then does some weird TV movies. Then does Volcano, and then disappears in a TV movie landscape with a few TV shows. Although like- he did
1: direct the the pilot for The Practice, great TV show, and the pilot for Numbers, oh, yeah. less good TV show.
0: But so weird to do the pilots for those and not do any more episodes beyond that. Yeah, very odd. Yeah, okay. Let's say Roger Donaldson reluctantly. All right, give it to Donnie Rogerson. All right, the best dialogue award. I couldn't find any here except for a corny line at the end of Volcano where the kid looks around and this is a pre-9-11 world. And he notices everyone you know, of, of every colour and age covered in volcanic dust and he makes this very insightful comment that, hey, they look the same. They all look the same.
1: Terrible, just terrible. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, how can you have a movie about, like, kill a lava and not have more memorable dialogue? Surely you need,
0: like, someone to yell out some iconic line like, save the cat from the lava, or some sort of trailer moment, right?
1: Yeah, I love you.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: I do not even get that in.
0: It's getting hard in here. Horrible, just horrible. All right, moving on. So, let's just give it to Volcano <laughs> reluctantly. Sure. The Nicolas Cage Chewing the Scenery Award. Starting with Dante's Peak, followed by Volcano. Mate, who
1: are you going to hand it to? There's not enough chewing this. Again, your movie's about killer lava. They could have chewed more scenery, don't you think? 100%.
0: I mean, I would say Tommy Lee Jones in that he doesn't quite chew the scenery, but he's very present on screen in the sense that he's very charismatic. So, I'd give it to him, but no one was really going for it. Like, Piers Brosnan was very restrained. Yeah, I mean, I had Grant Heslov in a side character role playing one of those geeks, you know those geeks for those smart-ass remarks that appear in all of these types of films like Armageddon? Sure. Like Deep Impact? But, yeah, no one was really going for it. Look, at a stretch, again, for the third time in a row, I'd reluctantly give it to Volcano for Tommy Lee Jones.
1: All right, let's give it to reluctant. In the same way that Tommy Lee Jones is at first reluctant to uh, believe Anna Hash, let's reluctantly give him this award. Moving on then. The Taking a Paycheck Award, which speaks for itself. Who's your award winner? Geez, given the budgets of these movies, it seems like everyone was getting a pretty good paycheck.
0: Yeah, totally. I'd say Pierce
1: Brosnan, but perhaps he just also wanted
0: to try and carve out a leading role character beyond a franchise. Tommy Lee Jones clearly getting some coin after winning an Oscar only, what, four years before with The Fugitive. But it feels like everyone is basically cashing a paycheck here.
1: Yeah, no one's really done well as Bond outside of being Bond, have they? Not really. I mean, I suppose Daniel Craig's made a few films. Oh, they all make movies. They're in movies. I mean, case in point, Pierce Brosnan was in Dante's Peak, but these movies never seem to be huge smash hits.
0: No, you're right. But then I think what they do is they always cast actors in the role of Bond before they're huge stars. So, it kind of caps how much- choice they can have or how many characters they can play in the audience's mind.
1: Maybe that's right. You just see that actor as Bond and it's like, do I want to see James Bond fight a volcano? Not so much. Not unless that volcano has like a metal teeth.
0: Which is why they always try and do radically different roles where they play different accents or wear fake noses. I'm thinking of Logan Lucky where <sighs> yeah, Bond- sure. where Terrible You know, he dyes his hair peroxide blonde. He plays a southerner. Just trying to go in the opposite direction entirely. I'm trying to fool from us. Bond. Very tricky. Yep. Okay, the Stephen Toblowski Award, a.k.a. Hey, It's That Guy Award, named after the iconic supporting actor Stephen Toblowski, who's appeared in over 260 films and TV shows. So, Gabe, which actor triggered Hey,
1: It's That Guy when he or she appeared on screen? Probably Richard Schiff, because I actually thought it was Stephen Tobolowsky because he didn't have a beard. <laughs> I was like, is oh, that really? Stephen Toblowski? And it was is Richard that Toby Schiff. from The West Wing? Okay. I'm not the, a massive West Wing devotee like you are, so... <laughs> Eh, I, don't know. I had
0: John Corbett from Northern Exposure and Sex in the City. Sure, why not? All right, Volcano Wins. All right, getting to the uh, pointy end of the awards here, the Delroy Lindo Award for Great Actors Who Aren't Cast Often Enough, named after Delroy Lindo from Get Shorty Heist and A Life Less Ordinary. So starting with Dante's Peak, I actually had Grant Heslov, but he's kind of gone on to forge a career as a screenwriter more these days. So, that's obviously a choice he's made. And in Volcano, I had Keith David because why not? He should be in more
1: movies. Well, like, let's face it. Keith David should be in all movies. There is no movie that isn't improved by having Keith David turn up in it. Yeah. Although, I guess right. the same could be said for Don Cheadle. John Carroll Lynch, he's great. He should be in more stuff. He played the Zodiac Killer, the alleged Zodiac Killer, in the movie Zodiac. And he's he's here as getting melted in the lava. He's good. Oh, well, in that case, Volcano definitely that wins. Volcano oh, by, right,
0: a, done. by a mile. The Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the absurdly named character played by Nick Cage from Gone in 60 Seconds. So which character steals the cake for the most ludicrous name?
1: Well, the, the surnames of Linda Hamilton and her kids are kind of dumb. Wondo. <laughs> Wondo. I agree. It's Rachel a weird Wanda. surname. Yeah.
0: But nothing can beat Gator Harris from Volcano. That's true. That's a good name. And they mentioned his name like a thousand times. Gator, 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 Gator.
1: Well, wouldn't you if you had a character right, volcano, with a cool name like it. that? Gator.
0: Yeah, totally. Rock. All right, Volcano, you take it. Moving on to the Memento Award name for the moments you completely forgot about until you rewatch these movies. Any winners?
1: There's a great bit in Volcano when the volcano is exploding, and then the news cuts to people looting, and there's all these people looting, and Anna hash like. Is having a kind of emotional moment because her buddy, the other scientist, has just fallen into a fissure, and she's sort of leaning against her car. And she takes a gear off, and a uh, a, and a looter runs by and steals her gear. It's great. That was my favourite bit.
0: Well, that has to win because I actually didn't watch these films until recently, so there wasn't anything to re-remember. So done. Volcano is on a roll and gets it. (sighs) Just steamroll. All right, we're near the end. The Die Hard Award, named after the influence of Die Hard in inspiring a subgenre of an everyday hero who's up against a group of baddies in a single location, just like that ripoff under siege. So, if imitation is the ultimate flattery, Gabe, did either of these movies leave a legacy by inspiring a- of clones? No, aren't. These Have there just- been a rash of volcano movies since?
1: Well, I guess not, but they they're part of a wider legacy of disaster movies aren't they
0: yeah from the towering inferno in the 70s onwards there has been that film pompeii which no one saw which had kit harrington from game of thrones yeah, but
1: surely no one but, was like uh, hey uh, remember volcano and dante's peak in the 90s let's bring that back with the most famous volcano there is pompeii i don't i don't know if we could that was the pitch you gave i'm sure that was a pitch made to the studio To do a volcano film. Oh, okay. Well,
0: consider me uh, wrong. Maybe it was a prequel. Maybe. I'd say, yeah, these films just fall into the canon of big disaster porn. And there haven't been any direct imitations, but it's just more of the same, which is the environment striking back. Think of 2012, The Day After Tomorrow. What else? (laughs) Any role in in the movie. Yeah, exactly. All right, Gabe, it's come to that time of the podcast. It's the Milking the Speed Cow Dry Award named after the infamous sequel Speed 2, which took the high stakes of a runaway bus in a crowded city and then relocated it, disappointingly, to a sluggish cruise ship. Imagine a big shot producer calling us from a Hollywood studio or production company and they're looking around at their competition and everyone is making sequels or reboots of successful films and our producer has to compete. So if one of their previous films has brand awareness and an inbuilt audience – then it might get a sequel which can play at the cinemas or go straight to a streaming service. Now, let's say there's an opportunity to make a sequel to one of the twin movies about volcanoes, be it Dante's Peak or Volcano. Which film do we make a sequel to, and what's our pitch to make it?
1: Well, which film? I guess we've got to start with which film. Which do you think has a better, builds a better world or sets up the, a universe or stakes for a sequel in a way that would be more enticing for an audience. Like at the end of which one do you go, Go, that was pretty good, I'd like to see what happens next?
0: Well, if we use the same cast, we have definitely going to go with Dante's Peak because Linda Hamilton's coming back in the latest Terminator film, so her star will rise again. So we could try and ride the coattails of her rejuvenated fame. Pierce Brosnan's always a drawed card. He's always known as the Bond guy, he's reliable, he's charming, he's good-looking, he's aged really well. So if we're going to cast the same guys, I think they're going to be better box-over stars for us going forward. Having said that, if we go with Volcano, which has a better name or brand awareness by what it is, it's got Tommy Lee Jones, he looks the same. Everyone else, though, has sort of fallen off the radar. So I don't know, it's hit or miss. The first question is, do we bring back the same cast or do we do like a spin-off, like those good old-fashioned straight-to-DVD films, or we're going for a big disaster porn blockbuster
1: at the cinema? That's our first question. I think you bring back the same cast. And I'm going to say maybe we should do a sequel to Dante's Peak in that Dante's Peak is about a small town being destroyed, which is very easy to make like as a primer for a bigger event Volcano is about a famous city being destroyed. I think it's easier to use the end of Dante's Peak as a launching pad, whereby Pierce Brosnan's Harry Dalton realises 22 years later that perhaps that explosion was just the beginning. Okay, so basically we're going to do a big-budget film. We're going to do a
0: classic sort of Roland Emmerich-style disaster porn movie. We're probably going to increase the budget. We're going to have another volcano, the same cast coming back, so, where are we now? We're 22 years later. Did Linda Hamilton and Piers Brosnan get married and live happily ever after? Or had they broken up and they have been brought back together under a terrible circumstance and thus discover love with each other through tragedy?
1: Well, I mean, I suppose they have to. Uh, Piers Brosnan's job puts him in danger. Whereas if they had broken up, unless the volcano is exploding under Linda Hamilton's new house – how could we put her in harm's way? Okay. So then let's think about what type of volcano we have.
0: Do we go wacky? Do we have basically a asteroid going towards, coming towards Earth like it's in Armageddon or Deep Impact, and we've got to send Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton on a rocket up to the comet, which has a volcano on it?
1: To try and <laughs> what? It. Negate the volcano. Wait a minute. Is your pitch or, or do a, we- a meteorite with a volcano on it? is heading towards, that's ludicrous. No, we can't do that.
0: It's basically Armageddon meets Dante's peak. It's perfect. It's like doubling down. It's a comet film meets a volcano film.
1: That's terrible. It's twice as much disaster. No, okay, but you can get twice as much disaster if you just have... More than one volcano. Like, what if Pierce Brosnan discovers that this Dante's Peak volcano was just the first of a giant interconnected set of many volcanoes?
0: Oh, so it's like the Meg. Spoilers for the Meg, where you think there's just one giant shark. Exactly. But when they overcome the one giant shark, you reveal there's an even bigger shark.
1: Exactly. Or like Peter Benchley's The Beast from the mid-90s. Same thing. Yeah, so there's like, Piers Brosnan realises, maybe he goes to the fridge 22 years later and he opens the fridge door and then has an epiphany. Oh my God, I didn't think of it then, but I'm thinking of it now. There is how many more volcanoes? A hundred, thousand, or every volcano on Earth is set to blow. The climate change has somehow done something in with science jargon that will be explained by some character in front of Congress or whatever, however that will be explained, that every volcano in the world is now primed to explode, maybe all at once, on New Year's Eve. Okay, so we're counting down to New Year's Eve on the day. he a classic this. countdown. Just thought of that then. We
0: go three, two, one, and the first spurt of molten lava occurs as, let's say, the ball drops in New York City, right? Oh, yeah, okay. Now, the question is... In our film now, this sequel, is Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton on the run to survive like The Day After Tomorrow or 2012? Is it a survival film or are they charged with somehow finding a solution to stop this crisis like an Armageddon?
1: I like the latter. I love the movies where like Pierce Brosnan and to be honest, if the core hadn't done it, which is a real shame that basically- Unless we just steal the premise of the core. For instance, Pierce Brosnan has to lead a team of hotshots down into the molten crust, into the core of the earth. He has to swim through lava to somehow stop these volcanoes from exploding. So it's like Dante's Peak meets
0: the abyss meets the core. Yeah. Okay, so Linda Hamilton comes along because she's retrained. She was running a cafe and she was the mayor in Dante's Peak are they still together or have they broken up but they reluctantly paired together like in the abyss where there's a bit of tension in their relationship
1: but they have to work and cooperate together to rejuvenate their marriage? Sure. She was the mayor. Maybe she used the incident at Dante's Peak to further her political career and has became the governor or the president. Either or. So, she can somehow be- still be involved politically and in the main plot rather than just being a person who is living near a volcano and go- and scared. Although her kids would now be, how old would they be now? Late 20s? Yeah. You know, what if young Graham Wal- Waldo, Wando? Young Graham Wando or Lauren Wando had been so affected by the incident at Dante's Peak that they had now dedicated their own lives to volcanology. So there is a Pierce Brosnan taking his sort of surrogate children along on the adventure as they are also volcanologists.
0: Okay, how about a splash of Jurassic Park? What if after this tragedy in Dante's Peak, initially Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton's characters got together and things were going along well, and then she saw an opportunity to try and commercialise this tragedy like Richard Attenborough in Jurassic Park, right? She starts actually mining and creating a business so she actually becomes a bad character. She's an evil mining magnate. And then what happens is she disturbs the volcano but has a trigger effect around the world combined with climate change. And then she has to reluctantly call her ex-husband back to try and save the situation. And working together with her Elon Musk-style technology, he has to go down with her into the volcano with their scientist kids who are volcano specialists to try and stop it.
1: So, you make her the villain. Hmm, interesting. Will audiences go for that sort of uh, face-to-heel flip? All right.
0: She's actually a goodie but living unhappily in a commercial job and his job has made them break up because he's always away investigating other volcanoes. Oh, yeah. And she resents him for that. But then why does she have to go into the specially designed – lava submarine? Why is she there as well?
1: Well, maybe she doesn't have to be in the lava submersible. Maybe it's just Pierce Brosnan's Harry Dalton and the character of Lauren Wando. Maybe they are the, you know, so there's a sort of strained father-stepdaughter relationship. And presumably these movies all end with Pierce Brosnan needing to sacrifice himself. And you can finally get your T2-esque thumbs up in the lava sequences as he figuratively and hands-on the mantle of the world's greatest volcanologist. What if we do a surprise, right, where at the end of the second
0: act we think that the traditional male character, Pierce Brosnan, will save the day, but you're right. He actually goes scuba diving in his special lava suit to try and fix a submarine on the outside. He springs a leak and dies and basically... Vanishes into the darkness of the lava, much to the distress of his eldest daughter, who's a volcano scientist. And then you think, oh, hang on, that's the end of the film. What's going to happen? And then, like in Armageddon, there's a second submarine revealed. And basically, Linda Hamilton has to go down in the second lava submarine to save her daughter, who's trapped at the bottom. At the same time, set off the giant nuclear bomb they'll essentially cause the volcano to implode on itself and save the day just as they escape together out the top.
1: So, yeah, okay, sure. Now, earlier, though, you did say something interesting. You had an idea about ice and fire somehow meeting. Oh, yes. Okay,
0: so I've always thought it's cool when you actually blend ice and fire. In fact- It is cool. Isn't that the name of a Game of Thrones book? Uh, it may well be.
1: I really only know it as Daniel Stern's crazy plan for hot ice in uh, some sort of baseball movie from the 90s. We're coming at this from different angles. You, let's take Game of Thrones, B, Daniel Stern. Sure. And the
0: lowbrow yep. and combine them together. I've always loved Bond films where they ski down a hill, dressed in black with like ski masks and Uzis shooting each other. That's always exciting. And we saw the same thing in what's that film with, what's his name? Leonardo DiCaprio. Inception.
1: Oh, okay. Yes,
0: sure. And we saw the same thing in Inception, right? This whole idea of, you know, people having a firefight with guns and skiing down a hill in the ice, yada, yada, yada. What if we have the volcano explode at a ski resort or somewhere like that where you can mix
1: water and ice, lava and fire, lava and ice together? How will that work? I mean, a ski resort's made entirely of ice would the whole thing melt. There is actual land under them, isn't there?
0: Well, you could have a cool scene like in that classic action film, Triple X, where you have the lava come up, it causes an avalanche of snow because it's melting, and they have to out-ski it or toboggan it. But maybe the ice cools it down just enough by a few
1: thousand degrees to allow their submarine to go down inside it. That's a possibility. What about this? Don't you want some sort of image, perhaps in the trailer, where a tsunami of lava is coming from one direction and a tsunami of water from the other? And our characters are in between. Oh, no. So, like, what if the only way to stop the thousand volcanoes from all erupting at once is to somehow nuke the poles and create tsunamis that will smash into lava walls. So, essentially, these
0: volcanoes started as a result of climate change and humans lack a respect for the environment. But then to save the day, (laughs) humans actually have to destroy the South Pole, the North Pole, and and send great glaciers off into the ocean
1: to try and cool (laughs) down... The screw-up which they created. Thematically, I'm not really sure what we're saying here, but like you know, we've been pissing on the environment for years, and look what we've done. How do you save it? Well, the only way to save it is now by shitting on the environment. We've got to double down on this stuff. We've got to, we've got to melt those ice caps. Got to, if you don't want a world of fire, you need to commit to a world of water. A water world. Oh, so this is basically like a prequel to Waterworld. That this is how we got there. Yeah, I guess so. So now we're doing
0: international disaster porn world building. We're basically we're going to link Dante's Peak to this film, which is the prequel to Waterworld, which is the prequel to when the water dries up to Mad Max. Exactly. Perfect. All right. And what's our title for our sequel, my friend?
1: What did George R.R. R. Martin already use as Fire and Ice? What was the title of his thing? Something like that. We could right. call ours Dante's Peaker. <laughs> right Dante's Peak 2 Ice and Fire Fire and Ice oh, I don't know 2 Peak 2 Volcano 2 Peak 2 Volcano I think I'd go see a movie called 2 Peak 2 Volcano where the poster was a giant wall of water and a giant wall of fire and two tiny little Pierce Brosnan's and Linda Hamilton in between and then it was like pick a side
0: and that ladies and gentlemen is how you make a sequel to the volcano film Dante's Peak Well done Alright mate that brings us to the end of the show Gabe, where can listeners find more of your work and musings this week? I guess you could find me on Twitter, at Gabe Dowrick, And I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter and Instagram and youtube.com slash Ben Phelps. You can find all my podcasts, including Twin Movies, curated within one mega podcast called The Ben Phelps Show in the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Gabe it's been a pleasure mate.
1: you too and uh, I love you all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> On that note, take care and stay tuned for our twin movies battle very soon.